Well done, worship team. Well done, everybody, too, singing, having fun. It's almost like there's a reason to celebrate. Like, golly, who knew? So joy to the world, the Lord isn't done. Right? So we've read two scriptures this morning. I've got three more scriptures to read uh, in the sermon. There's certainly no shortage of things I'd like to discuss, but I'm going to keep it simple and surface level in this to reflect on. There is no greater gift than the Word of God. It is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As Christians, whether this is before the dawn of time, before man came on the scene in Genesis chapter 1, whether it's what I would consider present age, even though the Gospels are technically 2,000 years old, to the future revelation, which has not happened yet, but is coming in the future, all of humanity's joy has always been in the Lord. Otherwise, all of humanity's joy is fleeting and fragile. It's circumstantial. It's limited to what you deem based on your own expectations of success. But with the Lord, the victory is already in him. There is already overwhelming success. And the fact that he has called you individually out of darkness into his marvelous light and then called us together as his people, despite all of our challenges and our own expectations and issues, God still loves us, and he brought us together, and he saved each of us, and yet here we are. And so there is always a reason for joy in the Lord. While certainly we may have the issue of maybe there's not so much joy in the church or in his people, we're wrong. <laughs> there is a lot of joy in his church and in his people. I know how all of us have impacted one another, and if Jesus didn't impact us first, there's no way to really impact, at least positively, ourselves. So this is all about joy. And it's about joy because whether we're going to the dawn of time or we're going into the future or we're just going to be here, right here, right now, it's always joy in the Lord. There's always reason to be happy. So dear Heavenly Father, certainly thank you for this morning. Thank you for your gift of your word. Thank you for the grace that you've shown each of us to be a member of your church. Thank you for the salvation that you brought us. And then the redemption, buying us back from the slavery of sin, that we might have right and true life. The sanctification based on the Holy Spirit that changes us into your likeness. And certainly the future glorification that we can all fantasize about, in a sense, of what your future uh, life with you will look like. But right here, right now, Lord Jesus, you're with us. So tune our hearts and our minds to your will. And may this sermon certainly be for your glory, Lord, and ultimately our good as your people. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 96 is found on page 554 in the blue Bibles in front of you. And before I read... This passage, Paul in Philippians tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
And so, as is on the bottom of your bulletin, and no holds barred, look at the bottom of your bulletin, see that definition of joy as given through the concordance, and realize that while it's related to gladness and happiness, joy is a state of being, it is not an emotion. I also want to encourage you that it is one of the fruits of the Spirit, as we've read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And also, having joy is a part of the Christian experience. It's not an if, it's more so a when. And by knowing the Lord, and the deeper the relationship we get with our Heavenly Father, the more opportunities that we all have for joy in Him. Because while we certainly look at this in the sermon notes, our joy is in the Lord for who He is, as well as our joy is in the Lord for what He has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Because we know certainly that God is good, and He is good all the time. Psalm 96 Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his council. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. One thing I want to point out to you in this too, this is the joy to the world. Look who this is written to. Look at the very first verse. Sing to the Lord a new song, all the earth. Let the heavens rejoice. And so, this is for us, certainly as believers, as it is the word of God and living and active, and it's to equip us for every good work. But this is also written to those who don't believe, who don't know, who don't understand the Lord. And that's why in this you'll see the plurality of gods mentioned, because as we know through idolatry, there is a pluralism of gods throughout there. We've all made up our own, or maybe we've just simplified it and we've made ourselves our own gods. It's very reasonable too. So, 
here it is. It's written to all the earth. It's written to joy to the world. It's written to believers, certainly, but it's also more so written to non-believers alike. Now, let me continue to dissect this further so that you can see it and really experience the glory of this little psalm. In verse 1 to 3, it's the call to worship the Lord. You can also find this call to worship the Lord in verses 7 through 10. That's why I broke it out the way that I broke it out, so that we can see that. So you've got the calls to worship, and then just moving along in those verses, verse 4 through 6, as well as 11 through 13, are the reasons why to worship. And so it is just that simple, even though when we look at it, it's not dissected like that, but it's beautiful how God has laid this out, or as the psalmist lays it out which is the Holy Spirit still. And so I want to start this off too, because this is all about our Lord. If you remember from our teachings, and especially I wrote it under your first point and put it in the bulletin, it's really important. Lord in all caps is Yahweh. Yahweh is our Lord's name. And as you see from what I've written on the back of the bulletin to save you the time of writing it, it literally means he who will be, is, and has been. And the name Yahweh, or he who will be, is, and has been, refers to God's self-existence. Yahweh is linked to how God described himself in Exodus, the very first time, to Moses, where he says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And so, God's name ultimately is the reflection of his being. He is the only self-existent or self-sufficient being in existence. Only God has life in and of himself. So his name, think about this, he who will be, is, and has been, refers to God's timelessness as well as it refers to his self-sufficiency. As much as we want to be like, the Lord needs me. The truth of the matter is the Lord doesn't need us. He wants us in a sense, but he doesn't need us. And it's that love that we struggle with in understanding as that sacrificial type of love. I mean, what? think about this realistically too, as we talked about Christmases and presents. What do you get the person that has everything? And that holds everything in their hands. I think about my mom. She's very well to do. She can literally go buy herself whatever she wants, when she wants it. Doesn't matter the day of the week. Doesn't matter the month. Doesn't matter a situation or a circumstance. She just has that ability. Praise the Lord for that. But ultimately, what do I get her? I struggle with this every single Christmas. And this really is a reflection of our relationship with God, too. If it's true that we love and worship as we're created to worship, when I look at my mom, I know what my mom likes. I know she likes flowers. I know we like having coffee and cake together. I know she likes going to the theater. She can buy all those things anytime she wants to buy all those things. But here's what's different. I offer my time. I offer to take to her to the theater. I offer to spend an hour, two hours every Wednesday with her. 
I offer to do these things. Not because she can't afford them or get them on their own or anything like that, but because that's what she desires, especially as a mom. She's like, I just want to spend time with you. And so when I speak of God's agape, his actionable and yet his sacrificial love, the first thing that always comes to mind is a mother's love. It's very similar. Even though moms have a tendency to get way too much identity out of their children, sorry ladies, it does kind of happen more often than not, but ultimately um, God isn't getting his identity out of you at all. He wants that relationship with you. He wants that time with you. He just wants that. And so in this, and as we see this, look at what in this verse the call to worship is. Okay? In the first three verses, you're going to see, Sing to the Lord! Sing to the Lord! Sing to the Lord! Tell of His salvation! Declare His glory among the nations and His marvelous works among the people. That's what the psalmist wants you to do. It's pretty simple. It doesn't involve you buying anything. It really doesn't involve any sacrifice or anything like that. But when we're told to do something, there's that natural sin inclination within us to be like, whoop, I'm going to take a step back. Who are you to tell me what I have and, have and don't have to do? But again, this is very simple. And we see, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. And that's what we've done this morning. That's when we get together. We sing to the Lord. Hopefully it happens more often than just on a Sunday morning. Maybe growth groups are starting to sing. I don't know. Ours isn't, but uh, it is what it is ultimately, right? But, but look at the commands and how the commands ultimately are easy and they require very little sacrifice. You know what it requires? Time. That's it. That's all that God wants is your time. And he's eternal. A day is as a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is as a day with Him. It's written in 1 Peter that way. And so you think about that as He lives outside of holiness and His time. However, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 to 14, which can be found on page 1132 in the blue Bibles in front of you, we get a glimpse of the future. Just a brief little glimpse of what worshiping the Lord is going to look like in that future time. And so, I just want you to know that Jesus will be praised. He has been praised, he is being praised, and he will be praised. Past, present, and future. And so, it reads as such. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. So did Dina. <laughs> but see this. See that this new song, see that this new song is the result of the change of people's lives. So the result of what Jesus has done to them, or in them, or through them, or for them. However you need to look at it, understand that it is a work of God to call these people to himself. Especially when we know that no man can do this on their own. Everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. There is no way for us to take care of our sins ourselves, something had to happen. And as we celebrate this Christmas story, something did happen. Jesus came to earth as a little baby, lived that perfect sinless life that no human being can, and welcomed people that did not deserve it into his kingdom, to be adopted sons and daughters for all eternity. Should spark some gratitude in there, right? But sometimes it takes a while for that gratitude to kick in until you can get to the point where you can sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord and sing to the Lord, especially because you're like, what do I sing? You want me to sing? I don't know what to sing, but I'll sing. Do, re, mi, fa, so. Whatever it is. It's also when we talk about prayer and we talk about speaking with God, people are typically intimidated by that. Do you know what the greatest thing about prayer is? And it has nothing to do with the words that you say. The greatest thing about prayer is the humbling of yourself and the glorifying of God. Because you need him. And that's what he wants you to know. That's what he's told you throughout his word. That's what he continues to enforce. That's when the world continues to attack you and make sure that you don't measure up. That way you know you do measure up in Christ and what he's doing. And the victory is always securely in him. And so look at verse 4 through 6 in this moment as well. Here's the reasons why to sing this new song and to bless his name and to tell of his glory and to declare his glory. Because God is great. He is worthy to be praised. He is a reason to fear. He is the great creator. He is filled with splendor and majesty and strength and beauty, and he is enthroned in his sanctuary, and no one will dethrone him. Our joy is in the Lord for who he is. And joy to the world because the Lord isn't done. Now in the second point, on the second part, again, verse 7 to 10, are the call to worship. And verse 11 through 13 are just a few of the many reasons why the world should worship Yahweh. But look at verse 7 through 10 here. You see, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. Bring, come, worship, tremble, say. 
The Lord reigns. Let's say it together. The Lord reigns. Amen. And the Lord does reign. And not only has he always reigned, and not only is he reigning right now, but you know what? As a pastor, there's a lot of things I can't guarantee, but I can guarantee you this, that the Lord will continue to reign. And so, in light of this, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, found on page 1142 in the Bibles in front of you, speaks of the Lord's coming again. In Christmas, we always talk about little baby Jesus coming which is great, right? It's always encouraging, like God came to earth. You think about the plurality of gods, and most of them sit in their whatever towers and rain down hate and rain down war and rain down all these things. But our Lord, and again, being countercultural as he is, actually came down to earth and dealt with the muck and the mire that we deal with on a daily basis, but even more so because he took those sins on himself. So ascribe, 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 give to the Lord the credit that is due. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16 is when Jesus comes back and it says this, And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And that's what Jesus is going to briefly look like coming back. I would encourage you in chapter 19 to read the before and the after section. It will probably be very shocking to you, especially if you've ever been painted the Jesus is only my friend kind of uh, motif in life, because there is a punishment for sin. Don't be naive. Everyone faces death. Just which kind of death? <laughs> That's the question. And so the Lord reigns and he continues to reign. He has always reigned and he's reigning right now. And so we get to verse 11 through 13 and we see the command and the reasons why. Because be glad, rejoice, roar, exult, sing for joy. And why do we do this? For he comes because he loves and he redeems. That's why he ultimately comes. And I want you to hang on that very last verse in this psalm. 
Maybe write it on your bedpost. Remind yourself of the truth. The Lord will judge the world in righteousness. And this is something that can bring you joy. There is a hot mess outside. Very hot mess. It is broken, and then it's broken some more. And then somebody decided it wasn't broken enough, and they continue to keep breaking it. And that's probably my fault or your fault or it's people's fault. Let's be real. You know, the most dangerous creature on the planet is a human being. And so he is going to judge the world in righteousness. Here's the good news. It's his standard of righteousness, not your standard, not someone else's standard, not some president's standard, not some leader somewhere standard, but in God's own standard of righteousness. I would encourage you to find out what God's standard of righteousness is. Because this second half of the verse is the most amazing Old Testament truth to the gospel. I mean, it, you know, Genesis chapter 3 is the proto-evangelion where it talks about the very first time that the gospel is mentioned in chapter 3. But look at those words. He's going to judge the world in righteousness but the peoples in whose faithfulness? His faithfulness. That just destroyed religion. Because religion is all about you earning your own righteousness by your own measure of faithfulness, not allowing for the brokenness that exists within you and that nature that needs to die and to be restored and redeemed as Jesus would restore and redeem us. It's his faithfulness. It's his works. And isn't that why Jesus came back? It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that any of us are here at this moment in time. And that is always a reason for joy. Because when I get annoyed by the people outside, or maybe sometimes annoyed by the people inside, I know, I know. Shocking, shocking revelation. As much as that may or may not happen, it's the joy in the Lord to A, have that relationship with him, B, be able to have that relationship with his people, and C, to have that open door. Like, we have the greatest boss in the world. We have the greatest Lord in the world. We have the greatest Savior in the world. All he wants is our time. That's it. Isn't that amazing? Like, what can I do for the person who does everything and who has everything and who's eternal? Like, man, our joy is in the Lord for what he will do, is doing, and has done. And again, this goes along with his name, Yahweh. He who will be, is, and has been. Joy to the world, the Lord is never done loving and redeeming his people. Never. The very last day that earth will exist, the last person will be saved. Until that day that the Lord has saved all the people that he has deemed he wants to save, that's where we're at. And so ultimately, again, 
Another way to flip the script and say the only wants is your time. God's great command. And if you were to fast forward to Revelation 21, verse, read verse 3. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what he wants. He will be our God and we will be his people. It's what he's always wanted. It's just that simple. So these truths today are but a small part of the joy we always have living our lives with the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, dear Heavenly Father, certainly thank you for the blessings that you provide us. Certainly we come here today celebrating Christmas, even though we know your birthday is sometime relatively in March. But if we didn't have this, and if the psalmist didn't say, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom, would we ever truly celebrate your coming again? Would we look forward to the future coming? Would we celebrate the past coming? Or would we even celebrate that you are here in this moment in time? And so as my heart cries out for myself, as well as for my brothers and sisters, and for all those that need to know you, certainly come, Lord Jesus. Tune hearts and minds to your will. Redeem the people that you would have redeemed, and may you use us ultimately for your glory and our good as your people. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.